Church, man, Christmas is upon us. It's here. We're excited, but who knows that sometimes Christmas can get a little bit messy. Yeah. There's some things that happen in life that make Christmas not always the beautiful hallmark picture that TV would portray to us, but man, we're still going to celebrate and learn how to navigate. I hope that everybody had a great Thanksgiving, that you ate a little bit too much, that you had some fun, you ate some turkey, put cheese on everything in vicinity, right? Ate some chocolate pie. Come on, somebody. Come on. Ate some lemon meringue, right? Ate some pecan pie. It's all good stuff. Hopefully, around the food and the football and the family, you took some time to reflect on how good God's been to you, right? To be thankful, to say, God, thank you for all that you've done for us. I know that one of the greatest ways for me to combat discouragement is through thankfulness. That when I start to get discouraged about what isn't or what I don't have or what's falling apart, that when I would really sit and list, God, thank you for my wife, thank you for my kids, thank you for my church family, thank you, God, for the blessing over our life, thank you to have a warm home, thank you to have a clean bed, right? Sometimes the simplest things we can forget to be thankful for, but that's how we really combat that discouragement. Man, one of the things I'm thankful for is the over 200 families that signed up and are committed to charge with us this year. Over 200 of you have signed up uh, to charge. And man, so excited about what God's doing with that. We're going to uh, keep talking about it throughout the year. Our hope is that if you're here and call Living Church your home, but you haven't uh, committed and connected to the Charge Initiative, would love for you to in the lobby today. Uh, there's a big table and a booth. You can get a jar of dirt uh, from the land. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. And so that you can be charging with us. We believe that 300 people will be charging. And so if, that, if you haven't done it yet, come on, jump in. We're so excited. Second week of January, we're going to talk about where we are with all that. So pumped about all that God's doing. But now that Thanksgiving is over, most of the leftovers are gone, right? There might be a couple left in the fridge, some stragglers, right? Uh, as your pants now officially don't fit anymore. Come on, somebody. Y'all know some of you had to skip a button or two today, right? And so uh, as Thanksgiving is over, it's time for Christmas. And there's so many memories in my mind about Christmas. After Thanksgiving, pulling out all the decorations and setting them up around the house and memories with family and gifts under the tree. But if we're honest... Sometimes Christmas can look a little bit messy. Though it's beautiful, it's a mess. Yeah, there's gifts under the tree, but Santa doesn't actually pay for them, right? That's a mess sometimes, right? Uh, that, that there's a lot of time with the kids, but sometimes our kids are having meltdowns, and so that's kind of messy. Yeah, there's beautiful moments with family, but there's also some weird relationships that we have to navigate with people we only see once or twice a year. It can feel a little bit messy, you know, every year uh, at Christmas growing up, my mom's side of the family would come to our house for Christmas. I mean, it was a big to-do. We were so excited. My mom and dad would 
cook and clean the house and prepare for days, and they would always have tasks and lists of things for me to do to try to get ready. One of my tasks is that I would pull all the chairs and extra tables and things out and set them up around the house for family to, to come by and, and have a place to sit. I would have to, uh, uh, I would get to vacuum the house, right? I would get to do this, and so every once in a while, I'd be vacuuming the house, uh, I grew up in Michigan, and so there's like real snow there, not like Texas snow, and so I would go out every year and have to shovel the driveway before everybody came, and so I would go out and shovel the driveway. There are all these tasks, and sometimes Christmas felt more like a job than a vacation. Did you feel that this holiday over Thanksgiving, sometimes with all the traveling and all the to-do and all the cooking and all the cleaning, it can feel more like a job. I remember one year... As my mom and dad were running around, everybody was about to show up at the house. My mom was getting ready to throw something in the oven, and she went to preheat the oven. Well, what my mom had forgotten is that my dad would hide his snacks in the oven. Because as a kid, I wouldn't know that they were in there, right? And so he would hide his snacks in the oven. And so he had this big plastic Tupperware full of, like, sourdough pretzels, and I don't know, chocolate or something, I don't know, all the stuff in the oven. And so mom, my mom just preheats the oven. It just goes about her day, and then all of a sudden we start smelling something that smells a little funky. And uh, she goes, and sure enough, opens the oven, black cloud of smoke fills the house, and we're spraying the thing with a fire extinguisher. Who knows that Christmas got a little bit messy really fast that year, that sometimes that's how it it happens. So we now have to clean all that up, and, and the jobs didn't stop. I remember when my family would arrive to the house, that one of the tasks that I had was to help everybody in from outside. So I would run outside and I'd help carrying the food and help carrying presents and help carrying grandma, right, and help carry all these things and get them in the house. And, and, and the job was that when people got into the house, I would take their coats from them because in the north, coats are not a fashion statement. Coats are to keep you alive, right? And so you wear these big, thick coats and hats and gloves and scarves. And, and so I'd stand there and I'd put my arms out and my family would put all their coats on my arms, and I would go to a spare bedroom and throw the coats on the bed. Well, my great-grandpa Jones, he would never give me his coat. He would always take his coat himself and lay it on the bed because he didn't want me to touch it. Well, when I got a little bit older, I understood why. It's because grandpa always had some weapons in his jacket that he didn't want me to gain access to. He would have a knife or a gun, right? He was a 90-year-old man with, like, an expandable baton. I'm from Flint, Michigan, right? And so expandable baton. And, and so he wouldn't let me carry it. And, well, one year, uh, so grandpa goes in there, and he throws his coat on the bed, but then doesn't come out for a little while. So we start wondering, where's grandpa? And we go in there, and we realize that he had uh, bought a new piece of technology called a taser. And so he had put his hand in his pocket to turn the taser off and zapped himself and passed out in the, in the back bedroom. Who knows, Christmas got a little bit messy that year, right? Sometimes Christmas, it, it turns into a mess. I remember uh, another job that I had was cleaning up all of the Christmas present wrapping. We'd eat dinner and then unwrap gifts, and then after that, we'd eat dessert. And so uh, there was one year that my grandfather gave my grandmother a gift of $500 cash. He knew there were some things that she wanted to buy and some things that she wanted to do. So instead of going and getting it, he just gave her some cash in an envelope. And so uh, afterwards, Grandma, you know, set it down, and we went on, and we started eating dinner. Well, it was time for us to clean up all the paper to, you know, get rid of it. And again, we're from the north, and so we all have fireplaces that are not for beauty, but are actually to warm your home. And so I would collect everything, and my dad would stand at the fireplace, and he would shove the fireplace full of cardboard and all the wrapping paper. And after we were done, Grandma said, has anyone seen my 
envelope of $500 cash. Who knows it turned into a mess real quick. It's still my dad's fault, right? He was in charge. Don't put that on me, right? My dad's fault. And so sometimes, sometimes Christmas can get messy, but my hope for the holiday is that when the mess hits Christmas, that we can really remember the reason for the season. That though there might be some chaos erupting in our family or in our situation, that, that there's a real good reason for why we're celebrating. So when your uncle brings up that awkward conversation topic, remember the reason for the season. Right. When you find out that gift you already promised your kids isn't $30, but $130, remember the reason for the season. Uh, when family members are late to dinner, if this is you, you got to pull that junk together. But if you have family members that are late for dinner and you're ready to eat, but then you got other family members that want to wait for the person who's late every year, come on, get the joy of the Lord in your heart, right? And just know that there's a good reason for this season. Get over the mess of Christmas. And can I tell you the truth? Christmas has been a mess since the beginning. Since the beginning, Christmas has been a mess. Think about it. Mary and Joseph are engaged, not married, but Mary finds out that she's pregnant. That's a mess, right? They, they, they have to travel across the desert while pregnant on donkey, that's a mess, to get to uh, a city that Joseph is from to do a census, that's a mess, because there is a, a foreign military presence that has came in and is forcing them to do this thing. Man, that was a, a mess. Then when they get to the city, there's no room in the hotel, and so Mary and Joseph have to sleep in a barn, and that's where she has a baby. That's a mess. The Christmas has always had some messy pieces to it, and I think about Jesus' perspective, you know, we think about baby Jesus as that this is the first time he's been around, but the truth is that Jesus is God. And so Jesus was present in heaven even at creation. And so Jesus had to make the decision to leave heaven to become born on earth. Jesus goes from walking on golden sidewalks to being born in a manger. So it was a mess for him. His dad is God, and now his dad is a teenage carpenter. That's a mess. And so for Jesus, it was a mess. And up until that point in humanity, our connection to God was kind of a mess. The only way that we could be in relationship with God was based upon our works, that we had to be good enough. We had to bring sacrifice. It wasn't about God's love for us. It was about our action towards God. And that was a mess, and it broke God's heart, so he made a decision. I'm going to send my son into the world to help clean up this mess. You know, Jesus, he had a job at Christmas. Jesus' job at Christmas was to clean up this mess. He came to make a way for us where there was no other way. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, it says this. God sent his son, Jesus, born to a woman, Mary, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. Everyone say redeem. redeem. To redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. So God sent Jesus at Christmas time to the little teenage girl Mary, so that we could not just be like slaves or servants of God, but that we could be sons that live in the house, that we could be daughters that carry the same name, that we could be in relationship with God. He came to redeem us. It means to, redeem means to, to buy back, to pay off. Redeem means to recover, to, to, to make good, to ransom, to, to rescue, to pull out of captivity, to save. I remember uh, when Rachel and I we're first dating, uh, I was in love with her. And I knew I was in love with her, but I was kind of nervous because I was like, I'm about to marry this girl, and so it kind of freaked me out. And so we like, kind of took a break. We were kind of not talking in a season, and so 
I was like, well, man, I don't know. So I started talking to this other girl because guys are stupid. That's what we do. We're stupid, right? And so Rachel got mad at me, and so we weren't really talking a whole lot. And so she was frustrated with me, and uh, one day she was driving to work, and it started to rain, and she, she hydroplaned off the road and drove her car down into a ditch, like way off the road. And she was stuck down in the mud in this ditch, and she couldn't get out. She's spinning her tires and doing everything. And so a tow truck drives by, and they're going to try to help pull her out, but the cable wouldn't go long enough all the way down in the ditch to pull her out, and she had to get to school and didn't know what to do, and so she had to call the only guy that she knew with a big lifted Jeep that knew how to handle these kind of problems, and so Rachel, uh, after a couple days of not talking, Rachel reluctantly calls me and says, I drove my car down in a ditch. I said, I got you, boo, right? And so I jumped in my Jeep, and I drove over there, and I drove down into the mud, and I hooked it up, and I, I pulled her car out of the ditch and out of the mud and off the shoulder and back onto the road. You know what I did? I redeemed her car. I pulled her out of a situation that she couldn't get out of on her own. And what Jesus did is he came to redeem us. Because we've all found ourselves in this life of sin. We've all found ourselves in problems, and we can spin our wheels and burn up our tires and over-rev our RPMs, but we can't get out of the problem without some extra horsepower, right? Without somebody who can come along who has some authority. And so Jesus, he came to redeem us so that we could be in relationship with God. The reason for the season is that Jesus came to redeem humanity to himself. And what I hope for is that this year when Christmas gets messy, you'll remember the reason of the season is for people to be redeemed, to be in relationship with God. Christmas isn't about Santa Claus. <laughs> it's not about trees or decoration. It's not about paid time off of vacation. We celebrate and have fun with all those things. But the real purpose of Christmas is the redemption of humanity, that people could come into a real relationship with God. And Jesus, he stayed on this redemption mission his whole life. Jesus would meet people that were a mess, but he'd love them, he'd reach out to them, he'd help pull them out of the situation, Jesus, he met a woman who was sitting at a well, and she was a mess. The Bible said that she had had five husbands, and she was living with a dude that she wasn't married to, but yet Jesus loved her and connected to her, and he helped redeem her. Amen. The Bible tells us that Jesus met a guy who was demon-possessed. People were afraid of him. The guy was living off in some caves by himself, and that Jesus redeemed him. One day, some Religious people brought a woman who was caught in the act of adultery and threw her at the feet of Jesus. And instead of shunning her and casting her away, he loved her and he redeemed her into a relationship with God. Jesus would meet religious jerks. Sometimes those are the worst. And he'd meet some religious jerks. And instead of just casting them all away, he gave them opportunity to be redeemed and closer to him. He did the same thing with lepers, people that had these skin disease. Jesus would meet tax collectors. Tax collectors were literally traitors of the people. It'd be your neighbor working for a hired army to take money from you and give it to the enemy. But yet Jesus didn't shun them. He redeemed them. Jesus went to a tax collector's house one day for lunch, and he said that he'd brought salvation into the man's home. And then Jesus says one of my favorite scriptures, Luke 19.10. Jesus gives his own job description. He says this. The son of man, that's him, came to seek and save the lost. That's good news, y'all. That the reason that Jesus came was to seek and save those who are lost. I don't know about you, but I was lost. I was far from God. I was spinning my wheels trying to figure out some stuff on my own. But yet Jesus came in to redeem me. Jesus was on this redemption mission until the very end of his time here on earth. The Bible tells us in Mark 16, 19, that after the... 
crucifixion, after his death, after the resurrection, that Jesus spent some time with his disciples. And it says, uh, after the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up to heaven, he flew into heaven, and he sat at the right hand of God. So he was gone. But it says, after he had spoken to them. Well, what did he say? The verse before that says, he said to them, go. Everyone say go. go. These are the last words Jesus spoke. Y'all understand that? Right. Yeah. La- last words. Like these are the last thing that he's going to tell us. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. The last thing Jesus told his church to do was not to attend church, <laughs> but was to go and tell the message of the gospel, was to go. Was to go. And at Christmas time, we need to go. We need to go. We need to go. We need to go. Tell it on the mountain. Come on, somebody. Go. Tell it on the mountain. Over the hills and everywhere. Did I get it? Go. Tell it on the mountain. What? That Jesus Christ is born. That's what we need to do. We sing the song every year around the holiday, but do we forget? Do we think that Christianity is about coming to church and not about going and proclaiming on the hills and the mountains that God is Lord, that Jesus loves us, that he wants to redeem us to himself? You see, Christmas is a rescue mission. Christmas isn't just for Christians because Jesus is for everybody. Come on, someone. Christmas is not just for Christians. It's for Christians to realize that Jesus is for everyone. But it's our job to broadcast that news. You know, what I know is that Christmas opens people's hearts to Jesus. It opens their hearts to Jesus, so we need to take advantage of that. Christmas and Easter are these two natural opportunities throughout the year to tell people about the love of Jesus. That's why at Living Church we don't slow down, but we speed up. Because we know that when everybody else is taking a break, this is when God's about to do some work in some people's lives. And so we're going to speed up. Matthew 5, 13 says this about us. You are the salt of the earth. You're the preservation agents. You are the light of the world. You're the thing that shines in darkness. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. That You are, you are a beacon of, this building is not the beacon of hope. You are the beacon of hope. That we are the light of the world. He goes on and says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let me beg you, at Christmas, don't decorate your house with lights without shining in your life. Do I need to say that again? Don't just decorate your house with lights and put a little blow-up inflatable Santa or even a manger in your front yard without letting the love of Jesus come out of your mouth to people that you're in relationship with. That's what Christmas is about. And so I want us to remind us to shine this Christmas. And yeah, I know. Christmas can be a mess. What the enemy wants us to do is he wants us to get so focused on our mess that we don't tell other people about the goodness of Jesus. Because we're so wrapped up in trying to get the right present and decorate our house and get the right Christmas sweater and not be mad at aunt so-and-so, right? right? That we forget about what the purpose is. Well, we need to say, shut up, devil. I'm going to be focused on doing what God has called me to do and I'll be intentional about showing the love of Jesus. Our job is to go tell it on the mountain. That's our job. Our job is to drive down in somebody's ditch, hitch them up, and help them pull in them into a relationship with God. Years ago, I read about a, uh, a study that a church did, and it's always been in my mind, so I looked it up and read it this week. It says this, 70% of all people who accept Jesus are invited by a friend. 70% of everybody who accepts Jesus in their heart are invited by a friend. So that means that only 30% are reached through church activities. So all the events and all the promotion and all the things that I can plan and lead and our staff can do only has the capacity to reach 30% of the fullness that God would have 
for Living Church, but that 70% are reached by you. Let me ask you a question. How many of you in this place have been a Christian for more than five years? Raise your hand. Okay, look around. It's a bunch of us. Now, super excited about this group. How many of you have been a Christian for five years or less? Raise your hand. Look up here. Come on, raise, raise, be brave, be proud. Man, you're the reason that we're doing what we're doing. Now, listen, listen. Y'all, 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 y'all raise your hand the first time. Y'all about to be in trouble. Ready? Here's what it says. Only 2% of the 70% were invited by someone who had been a Christian more than five years. You get the stat? Only 2% of the 70% who were invited by a Christian were people that, who had been a Christian for more than five years. You know what that means? That those of us that have been Christians a long time stink at evangelism. Because somewhere along the way, it becomes about the programs that we like. And it becomes about, are they singing the song that fits my preference? And do they have the things that are going to feed into what I hope to have? Listen to what it says. 50% of the 70% were invited by someone who had been a Christian less than a year. 50% of the people that are reached through one-on-one evangelism are reached by someone who's only been a Christian for a year? You don't know about people who've only been a Christian for a year? They don't have the whole Bible memorized. They don't know the deep truths of theology, but you know what they have? A story they're willing to tell. A testimony in their heart, a fire shut up in their bones that they're willing to speak. And so if you've been a Christian for a long time, can I challenge you to really have some introspection and look at yourself and say, how am I doing at completing the mission that God has for his church? Christmas is not about what can I get from God. It's about what can I give to people around me that God has already offered them. The longer we know Jesus, the easier it becomes to forget what it's all about. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you really told somebody about Jesus? When was the last time you really told somebody about Jesus? When was the last time you really shared your testimony? You say, well, Pastor, I don't have testimony. Yeah, you do. Here's all testimony is. Here's what my life was like. Here's when I met Jesus. Here's what my life is like now. That's all the testimony is. But what happens is we live here so long in our relationship with Jesus, we start to forget about what it was like when we didn't know Jesus. And then we refuse to ever share that story because something happens, man. It's just human nature. We start to become a little religious. We start to try to show the world that we have it all together and we're refusing to admit that we were ever covered in mess ourselves. That we refuse to admit that we were ever down in a ditch. Christmas is a rescue mission, y'all. When's the last time that you invited someone to church and they actually came? When's the last time you brought somebody with you? You know, there's this nervous feeling when you have a first-time guest at church with you. If you've ever had a first-time guest or a friend or family member or somebody you invited come to church, you're kind of nervous because you're like, man, I hope pastor doesn't say something weird. That's even stranger when it's me, when I have a first-time guest and I know they're here and I'm like, God, I hope I don't say something weird, right? I hope that the band does good. I hope they do some songs that are rocking, man. I hope our greeters are smiling. I hope that our welcome team is on point and sees them. I hope that our kids' check-in department goes really well and really smooth, right? There's this kind of nervousness when we have a first-time guest that comes with us. Well, when was the last time you felt that? That's how you make Living Church your church. 
That's how you feel planted is when you've got people that you hope the ministry succeeds, not just for your preference, but for somebody else's salvation. That's when the church really becomes what it's supposed to be. You know, when I was younger, I was a soul winner. It was just something that came out of me. I just couldn't help but share the stories of the Bible and the testimony of things that God had done in my life. And I just saw people coming to church and coming in a relationship. And they would just come to me and my pastor would do the heavy lifting. He would preach the sermon and give the altar call and they would get saved. And I would just bring the people in. But then something happened. I started to become a professional Christian. I started to learn the stories. I started to learn when the hands go up and when the song goes and, oh, this is about to happen and pastor about to say this and I bet he's going to use this verse of scripture next because he's preaching about evangelism, right? I start to play those games and I became a professional Christian. Then I went to Bible college. Then I got a job at a church as a youth pastor and I got paid to be a Christian. And somewhere along the way, I stopped being an evangelist. Man, I thought that it was about what I could get out of God, not what I could do for God. And I heard a message kind of like this that started to rattle me. Because I realized the only time I talked about Jesus was with a microphone strapped to my head. With a microphone in my hand. That I was getting people saved here, but not getting people saved outside of this place. And so when we planted Living Church now almost 10 years ago, I had this mindset shift of I'm going to step back into becoming a soul winner. And I want you to know that over the next three Sundays, you have some incredible opportunities to tell people about Jesus. That I want to give you some tools, some ideas of how you can help connect people. Next week, week two of our Christmas series, we're going to be doing a panel. So Rachel and I and Aaron and Whitney are going to be up here in panel form. Those are always fun Sundays because Aaron be saying crazy stuff every once in a while, right? <laughs> Those are always fun Sundays. And so we're going to talk about how to navigate the mess of Christmas. And so if you know a human being who lives in America, they have a mess sometimes at Christmas. And so that's going to be a great Sunday to invite them to. Two weeks from now, we're going to have a family service. And so that means that living kids are going to come into service with us, and it's going to be awesome. Living Kids is taking over. They're going to be doing dances. They're going to be doing songs. We're going to have a puppet show on stage, y'all. We're going to have people in costumes doing skits. They're doing stomps. And I don't know what they're, they're doing, all kinds of stuff. And you've got to bring them here to see what God is doing. Right. You might say, well, Pastor, I don't like puppets. It's not about you. Right. <laughs> We're going to put on what Living Kids looks like. So that when families come in who are looking to get connected to a church, they go, oh, that was really engaging. Ooh, I learned something about the Bible. I want my kid to come because they love the next generation here at Living Church. But how will they know unless someone tells them? We have to engage and invite people. Then in three weeks, we have Christmas at LC. We're doing eight Christmas services. Not because I like to preach. Because today at about three o'clock, I'm going to go home and want to die because I'm going to be so tired. My brain's not going to work. I can't go to lunch. I can't have a conversation with my wife because I have no more glucose in my brain. I literally can't even think anymore. After eight, I'm going to want to die. But can I tell you, I wouldn't change it for the world because we have an opportunity to share the love of Jesus. So on, those, on that Saturday night and Sunday services, we're going to give a simple message of the gospel. We're going to tell the Christmas story. And if you've been coming for any while, you can trust me that you know that I'm going to handle this right and that I'm going to explain to people the goodness of God. They're going to know there's a God in heaven who's not mad at them but loves them and who wants to be in a relationship with them. And we're going to see people accept Jesus in their heart. The question is who's coming? Who are you going to bring with you? What if 
What if you made it a goal to not come alone? What if you made it a goal in yourself to say, you know what, I'm not just going to attend Christmas LC, but I'm going to invite some people with me. What if you knew that you and your family were going to come maybe Sunday night, but then you invited a coworker, and the coworker said, yeah, man, I've been thinking I need to find a church to go to, and you know, my kids, they need it, and it'd be good. You know, I think I'll go, and you give them a little invite card, you give them a little invite card, and they say, oh, you know what, I'll go to the Saturday at 5.30. Now, you have a decision to make. Because you already said you're going to go with your family to the Sunday night. Now they're saying they want to come on Saturday at 5.30. Just come to 2. Do you know how many times I've watched the Die Hard movies? <laughs> like a thousand, I, know, I know all the words. You know, how many, you know how many times I've seen Predator? You know, how many, some of these, you know how many times I've seen Rocky? Oh man, you know how many times? Why? Because I love the story. I can tell the story. I hope you know what I'm saying at Christmas. Jesus, born in a manger, Mary and Joseph, shepherds, wise men, angels, oh, King Herod, bad guy, right? You know, Jesus, and I'm going to talk about the cross, and you ask Jesus in your heart, and he loves you, forgives your sin. Done. That's why I'm preaching at Christmas. It's not for you. It's not for us. It's for the people that we're going to bring to hear the message and the love of Jesus. And so I want you to use the tools. So these are tools. The ushers are going to, we passed them out last week. We've got more this week. We're, we've passed out 1,500 of these invite cards last week. We ordered 5,000 more. So you can take these and you can just give them out at work. Give them out at family events. Just give them out to people. Invite some people. When you see us posting on social media, you know, all this thing is is a tool. This is just a tool. This is just our ability to reach farther. So instead of doing mail-outs, this is way cheaper than doing mail-outs, by the way, right? That we're just engaging, reaching. So if you see someone on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or I don't know, all these platforms that we're on, YouTube, right? Share it. Right. Tag somebody that you think should come. Use these tools. Yeah. On, uh, on the LC at Christmas, we're not only doing Christmas services, but we're also doing this huge family thing afterwards. Growing up, our family would decorate Christmas cookies, and so we're extending that to our living church family. So every family is going to get a big box full of cookies. Not just one cookie. Come on, somebody. There's more. You get a whole box of cookies that have just been iced. So you're going to go into our kids' building, and families can come, and they can decorate the cookies. They're going to put all different colors sugar on them and some raisins or some chocolate chips and some coconut and some sprinkles, okay, and all kind of stuff. They're going to decorate their Christmas cookies, get a little box. It's going to have a little stamp talking about our next series we're going into in service times and the website. Come on now. And they're going to get that, and then they can go and take a picture with Santa Claus. Why? Because all Santa Claus is, in my mind, is a magnet to Jesus. Right. not worshiping Santa Claus. He's just a dude in a suit. I have to pay by the hour to be here, right? But... <laughs> But he's just a magnet. He's just a magnet to get people to be in a close relationship with Jesus. Last year, we had a dude in the church wear a beard, and it looked horrible. We got legit Santa coming this year. We got him on discount. Santa's coming for all of our services. Then we've got a little tent. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. This is what we're doing. We got a little tent in the back. We have a little old school little, little truck, and you take a little family photo, and a little plaid shirt or whatever, right? And it's going to be looking good. This is what we're doing. But use the tool. I just gave you some ammunition. I just loaded your gun with bullets of evangelism for you to go and share the good news. There's a bunch of opportunities to just go to someone and say, hey, man, I've been thinking about you this week. I've been thinking about you. You should come with me to say, hey, you know, I think it would really be, be really good. You know, when I go to church, I feel this, this peace in my heart. Man, I know you've got a lot of stuff going on. Maybe you should just come and sit with me. Just come to the Christmas service and just gain some peace. There are two different kinds of people that we can be reaching. Two. First, people you know well. Secondly, people you randomly interact with. 
people you know well. These are your friends. These are your family. Uh, these are your coworkers, people you know well. These are people that you can be more intentional and vulnerable with. So you can go to a person you work with or a family member and say, hey, man, pastor, my pastor was just talking about this thing. Man, it was so good. And then you can just re-preach my sermon to him. Just steal it because I just stole it anyways. I just stole it from God anyways. So you just re-preach what I said and say, man, it's so good. You should come in here. You can get a little bit more vulnerable. You can share your story and your process, what you learned. Or you don't even have to say you learned at a church. You'd be like, man, I was in devotional time, and the Lord, you steal it. You can use my stuff like it's yours. The Lord told me this, right? Just give it to him, man. Get the word out there and invite people that you know. Secondly are people that you randomly interact with. People you randomly interact with. People that you just bump into. I can't tell you how many people attend Living Church that attend because Rachel and I randomly bumped into them. I'm really involved with the Chamber of Commerce here in Mansfield, and so we have business leaders and city officials, and we have uh, waiters and waitresses and business owners, all these people that have started attending Living Church because of random interactions. I was thinking about it this week and talking with Rachel, and she said, you know, trusting the Wexlers, Danny, Debbie Wexler, you know how they started coming to Living Church? I said, oh. Rachel, she does this thing uh, where she buys stuff and then glues stuff on it and then sells it on the internet. That's what I call it, right? And so she buys these little things and puts a little name on it and then sells it on, on the internet, on Facebook. And so a couple Father's Day ago, she was making these cups that said like best dad or something and then some dad's name. And so, so, so like 100 people are buying these cups from her on Facebook. And some lady named Debbie just sends her message, I want one, put Danny's name on it. So Rachel's like, okay. And so one day some lady rings our doorbell, ding dong. Rachel opens the door. Hi, they've never met each other. Debbie's right here on the third row. They've never met each other before. Debbie says, hi, I'm here to pick up the Danny cup. Rachel says, oh, okay. And she goes and gets a little bag and gives it to her. And Debbie gives Rachel, I don't know, $7 or something. And Rachel says, oh, hey, I know we haven't met, but I'd love to invite you to the Father's Day service that we're doing at Living Church. Super random. They didn't know each other. But what Rachel didn't know was that God was already moving in their hearts. God was already doing some stuff inside the Wexlers that they were searching for some more, that they wanted to get connected to something that was bigger than themselves. And so then they just showed up on a Sunday. Then they accepted Jesus. Now they're living for the Lord. Danny's pursuing a life in ministry. Their kids are chasing after God, right? Why? Because of a random interaction. Then Debbie's so excited about Jesus that Debbie randomly invites a girl that works at the daycare that her kids go to whose name is Maddie. She randomly, just some girl who watches her kids, hey Maddie, I'd love to invite you to come to church with me. And so then Maddie just shows up. Now Maddie is interning on our admin team and serving in the house because she's accepted Jesus in her heart. Can I tell you, I could tell those stories all day because there's something powerful that happens when you just are willing to open your mouth and invite someone. So let me ask you to push it. I want to say push it. Push it. P -p push it real good, right? I want you to push it just a little bit this week. Now, I want you to push Jesus with tact. Y'all right. know what tact is? Push the love of Jesus with tact. Tact is the intuitive knowledge of saying the right thing at the right time. Some Christians don't have this right. There's some Christians that are too aggressive. Ever met them? But then there's some Christians that are way too passive. We go to church for 30 years like a bump on the log, and all we do is get to heaven, but we don't take anybody with us. Okay. <laughs> so I want you to push it with tact. Isaac Newton, he said this, tact is the ability to make a point without making an enemy. Amen. 
So we can share the love of Jesus with people without making an enemy. We have to be intentional. I was, uh, I'm not asking you to be a street preacher. You seen the street preachers? I'm not asking you to be a street preacher. You want to ruin a date night for me? And Rachel, have me run into an angry street preacher in downtown Fort Worth or Dallas. Nothing makes me matter. When people are out there portraying God as though he's this angry guy trying to get you. So we're out on a date night with Aaron and Whitney, and we see a street preacher, and he's held this big sign that says on it, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. And there's like flames painted on the sign. He's got a bullhorn. He's warwalk. It's like, you're going to hell. He's looking at me. Look straight at me. You're going to hell. And I was like, oh, man. I'm not going to hell. I'm not. I promise I'm not going to hell. And so I go over and I'm trying to talk with the guy. And Aaron knows in these moments to be real close to me because I might lose my junk. And so, so I'm talking with the guy and I said, I said, hey man, what's on the other side of your sign? What? You know what's on the other side of his sign? The wages of sin is death. He had the same thing on both sides of the sign. But he forgot the second half of the scripture. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but... The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And you see, what we have to understand is that that guy was right. He's right. The wages of sin are death. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the goodness of God. But God made a way where there was no way. And so what I want us to do is have some tact. Don't run around and say the wages of sin are death. Why don't we run around and say the gift of God is eternal life? So this Christmas, this Christmas, let's just not put gifts under the tree without passing out the gift of Jesus to people around us. He's a free gift. The question is, will you give him away? You're going to give everybody that you know a gift, but will you give away the greatest gift that's been given to you? Will you stand with me this morning? I want to do one more thing before we go. I need you to pull out your phone. If you've got a smartphone with a camera on it, pull it out, pull it out. I'm, I'm going to do a backflip. Y'all ready? I'm going to show you. I've been practicing. I'm going to do a, no, I'm too fat to do a backflip. I'm not doing a backflip. Watch. I want you to take a picture of something. Get your camera out. Put this, put this up. Now, I want you to have these dates. I'm going to do my Randy Savage. Oh, yeah. Right? Okay. December 8th, next week, we're navigating the mess of Christmas panel. December 15th, Christmas service. December 21st and 22nd. Saturday night, we have a 5.30 and a 7 p.m. Right? Sunday morning, regular service times, 8.30, 10, 11.30, and 1. And then Sunday night, we have a 5.30 and a 7 p.m. And can I just tell you, I don't know what's going to happen. Ministry is an experiment. We might have some of these that are packed with people standing in the lobby, and we might have some of these that I'm preaching to three people. But I don't care as long as one person asks Jesus into their heart. But my hope is, is that we'll all be intentional over the next few weeks to help love people, into the kingdom.